0: This is the More Than Right Podcast, an independent view of politics and American culture. I'm your host, Steve Lopez. Sitting on a White House television set of the Oval Office back in 2021, President Biden rolled up his sleeve for the nurse who injected him with a COVID vaccine. You're okay, Biden told the White House press corps and the American people. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccines. Biden made a point of televising every following vaccine injection and booster shot he received. He and members of his administration even took to telling the press that COVID was, quote, a pandemic of the unvaccinated, unquote. He would go on to insist the vaccinated, quote, do not spread the disease to anyone else, unquote. So, it was more than a little embarrassing, not to mention ironic, when the White House announced a few days ago that the 79-year-old multi-vaccinated Biden was infected with the COVID-19 virus. You might call this the culmination of the COVID wars, a war in which federal and state governments explored the extent to which the civil liberties of Americans could be curtailed in the name of a medical emergency. According to a study by the peer reviewed British medical journal The Lancet, quote, government actions such as border closures, full lockdowns, and a high rate of COVID 19 testing were not associated with statistically significant reductions. In the number of critical cases or overall mortality. Unquote. And Bloomberg News reported a survey by Oxford University's Blavatnik School of Government that found among countries in Europe, quote, there's little correlation between the severity of the nation's restrictions and whether it managed to curb excess fatalities. Unquote. In the name of saving lives, government ordered churches to shut their doors businesses to close and furlough their employees, schools to lock their classrooms, and send students home. In California, meanwhile, Los Angeles and Ventura counties designated gun stores as providing non-essential services and ordered their closures. None other than the arch-liberal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals struck down the measures, saying the Second Amendment meant nothing, if the government can prohibit all persons from acquiring any firearm or ammunition. Unquote. For their part, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down as unconstitutional California's church closing mandate, with Justice Neil Gorsuch writing quote, As the crisis enters its second year and hovers over a second Lent, a second Passover, and a second Ramadan, It is too late for the state to defend extreme measures with claims of temporary exigency, if it ever could. Drafting narrowly tailored regulations can be difficult, but if Hollywood may host a studio audience or film singing competitions while not a single soul may enter California's churches, synagogues, and mosques, something has gone seriously awry." The point is that the federal judiciary has, of late, been the strongest defender of individual constitutional rights in the face of mandates by authoritarian, power-mad Democrats emboldened by the moral vacuum left by do-nothing Republicans. Justice Lawrence Van Dyke of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, who wrote the opinion striking down California's assault on our Second Amendment right to bear arms, and U.S. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch, who wrote the opinion striking down California's assault on our First Amendment right to worship, were appointees of President Donald J. Trump. Contrast this with the COVID-infected Biden's High Court appointee, Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson, the woman who claims to be able to interpret the U.S. Constitution, but could not give GOP Senator Marsha Blackburn a simple definition of a woman. I'm not a biologist, Justice Jackson said, disingenuously. Like Biden and his fellow Democrats, Justice Brown hides behind those human shields in white lab coats, the secular world's venerated high priests of science. But as the studies mentioned earlier attest, the men and women of science are human and prone to making mistakes, and not like the rest of us. Take, for instance, Dr. Anthony Fauci, head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and Washington's COVID czar. He funded gain-of-function research that increased the lethality of COVID strains found in bats for purposes of study. That research was conducted at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China, the epicenter of our current pandemic that has killed millions worldwide. In a research paper published back in 2012, Dr. Fauci pondered the possible harm such viral research and its researchers might pose to the rest of us. What if, Fauci mused, a scientist became infected with a ginned-up pathogen of his own making? In an unlikely but conceivable turn of events, what if that scientist becomes infected with the virus which leads to an outbreak and ultimately triggers a pandemic? Scientists working in the field might say, as indeed I have said, that the benefits of such experiments and the resulting knowledge outweighs the risks, Whether it's draconian government measures designed to diminish the dire effects of so-called climate change, or authoritarian mandates infringing on our basic civil liberties to combat a pandemic, the apparatus of science is too flawed an instrument to be setting limits on our freedoms. The U.S. Constitution has proven itself more reliable in times of crisis than either scientists or politicians. Perhaps very soon, this epiphany will dawn on the ailing, quarantined, and fully vaccinated Joe Biden. When most conservatives think of the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, they perceive it as a Democrat plot against the 2016 GOP presidential candidacy of Donald J. Trump. That is incorrect. It was a bipartisan plot that sought to derail Trump's candidacy before the Republican National Convention and later his presidency. It was an alliance comprised of Democrats, establishment Republicans, and deep state operatives within the FBI and U.S. intelligence communities. And that proof comes in the person of Stephan A. Helper. He was a low-level official in the Republican administrations of Richard M. Nixon, Gerald R. Ford, and Ronald W. Reagan. In fact, Helper was a spy for the 1980 Reagan presidential campaign that tapped sources inside the Central Intelligence Agency for information regarding President Jimmy Carter's disastrous foreign policy initiatives. Helper's father-in-law was former CIA Deputy Director Ray S. Klein. Sometime in 2016, Helper became a CHS, or Confidential Human Source, for the FBI in the Crossfire Hurricane investigation of Trump and his 2016 campaign staff for allegedly colluding with Russia. Trump campaign foreign policy advisers George Papadopoulos and Carter Page later identified Helper as the inquisitive conversationalist of their mutual acquaintance. A report by Michael Horowitz, inspector general for the FBI, noted that Helper's spy mission was to determine, quote, whether the campaign was planning an October surprise, as had been reported in the media. In addition, to ask Carter Page if he maintained contacts with Russians or knew whether the Russians had been releasing emails to benefit the campaign, It seems the purpose of the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane investigation was to see what embarrassing or incriminating evidence the Trump campaign had dug up on Hillary Clinton. The Russians were of secondary concern. According to the Horowitz report, Halper reported to his FBI handlers that Page told him that, quote, the Clinton campaign had hired investigators to come after me, unquote. We now know that one of those investigators was former British spy Christopher Steele, author of the now discredited anti-Trump dossier, a document in which Carter Page was accused of holding secret meetings with high-level Kremlin officials, a claim later found to be untrue. Claims, in fact, found to be Russian disinformation. Clearly, the Trump campaign had no October surprise or political dirt on Hillary Clinton beyond what was already a matter of public record. But the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane investigation uncovered the Clinton campaign's plot to manufacture an October surprise against Trump and members of his campaign, manufactured evidence in the form of the Steele dossier which the FBI later took to the secret Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court to receive warrants to spy on Trump and his associates. But Helper served a much more important purpose than infiltrating the Trump campaign. In fact, his role was identical to that played by fellow FBI confidential human source and British spy Christopher Steele, and that was to pass political disinformation to the mainstream media disinformation designed to damage President-elect Trump before he ever placed his right hand on the Bible to take the oath of office. Helper claimed General Michael Flynn, a man who spent his entire military career in the field of intelligence, was in a romantic relationship with a Russian operative. That alleged Russian spy was academic and author Svetlana Lokova. General Flynn, you may recall, was slated to serve as Trump's national security adviser, a man who made no secret of his intention to reform the u s intelligence community. The smear worked, and General Flynn was questioned by helper's FBI masters and eventually charged with quote, lying to the FBI unquote. Flynn's legal fees ruined him financially. that lie marked the beginning salvo in what would culminate in the much larger Trump-Russia collusion conspiracy, which sought to damage Trump's presidency and eventually remove him from office. As it turned out, it took a stolen election in 2020 to do that. Getting back to helper, in 2019, Svetlana Lakova sued him for spreading the lie she was romantically involved with General Flynn and that she was a spy for Russia. Also, that Helper pressured publishers to deny the publication of her book detailing her role in the Flynn matter. Also named in the suit was Helper's media allies, MSNBC, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, and The New York Times. Although the suit was dismissed last April by U.S. District Judge Lonnie Brakema, appointed by President Bill Clinton, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals recently reversed the ruling, allowing Lakova's suit to proceed. I have always thought civil suits to be the most effective in achieving a semblance of justice in our imperfect world than criminal trials. O.J. Simpson was declared not guilty by a Los Angeles jury in his criminal action, but was later found liable for the deaths of ex-wife Nicole Brown Simpson and her friend Ron Goldman by a jury in civil court. Likewise, The only reason we discovered who was behind British spy Christopher Steele's infamous anti-Trump dossier is because of a defamation lawsuit filed against Steele in London, a suit that forced the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton presidential campaign to admit paying for Steele's services. The suit proved the first step in the undoing of the Trump-Russia collusion conspiracy. In the months to come, Who knows what interesting facts will come to light regarding Stephen Helper and the FBI's plot to undermine the Trump administration from its very beginnings. More importantly, who among Washington's never-Trump-Republican establishment, like Helper, lent a helping hand? there is no need to tell you the country is in the grips of a crime wave. And that holds true for GOP candidates, like New York Republican gubernatorial aspirant Lee Zeldin. While giving a speech to a group of veterans in Parenton, New York, a man identified as David Jacobonis allegedly lunged at Zeldin and attempted to stab him in the neck. You're done, Jacobonis supposedly told Zeldin moments before the attack. Zeldin credits his self-defense training with enabling him to fend off his attacker until members of the audience could storm the stage, tackle, and restrain him. Jacobonis was arrested and taken into custody. But thanks to New York's soft-on-crime laws, the defendant was released without bail and put back on the streets. Taking to Twitter, Zeldin said, Political scores should be settled at the ballot box, not on stage at campaign events trying to violently attack candidates you disagree with. This is not okay. This is the United States of America. This is the greatest country in the history of the world." Zeldin, like most Republicans, fails to understand that settling political scores is what animates the radical left. They act on these dark impulses with arson, riotous violence, and death if necessary. Like James Hodgkinson, a staunch supporter of the radical socialist senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders. Hodgkinson swallowed hook, line, and sinker the mainstream media's portrayal of President Trump and congressional Republicans as equivalents to Hitler. And an armed Hodgkinson left his home in Illinois, driving 819 miles to Washington, D.C., where he seriously shot and wounded GOP Representative Steve Scalise, congressional staff members, and two law enforcement officers. But a hail of bullets ended Hodgkinson's life and finally quenched his burning desire to settle scores. And speaking of political scores, Holmes' belonging to conservative justices on the United States Supreme Court are currently surrounded by protesters furious at their overturning of Roe v. Wade. Nicholas John Rosk, 26, of Simi Valley, California, traveled 2,700 miles to Justice Brett Kavanaugh's Maryland home. An arch-supporter of abortion rights, Rosk alerted authorities of his intention to murder Kavanaugh and his family. Upon his arrest, a Glock 17, pepper spray, zip ties, a hammer— screwdriver, nail punch, crowbar, and duct tape were among the items found in Rosk's backpack. Oh, and the failed assassin told authorities one of his motivations for attempting to kill Justice Kavanaugh was his belief that justice would continue to rule in favor of the Second Amendment. Just as liberal DAs throughout the nation released BLM and Antifa rioters from jails, without bail during the 2020 presidential campaign, it seems the same Blue City DAs are gearing up to help the score settlers of the radical left get back on the streets to finish what they started. The message this year to Republican candidates like New York gubernatorial contender Lee Zeldin is clear. You had better watch your backs. And rally attendees? You had better stay frosty in case you're needed to disarm and wrestle the overheated left-wing score settlers to the ground. That concludes this edition of the More Than Right Podcast. Should you wish to leave a comment, you can reach us at morethanrightpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. It will help promote the podcast and be much appreciated. Until next time, this is Steve Lopez.